This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who aren't done yet. You may have seen the worst of aging and are hoping there's a better way. There is, and I'm going to show you how. In interviews, book reviews, rants, and stories each week, I'm going to bring you the latest science-based info on how to age better. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. It pisses me off, and it's BS. Look, aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. Today, my guest is Deborah Ivanov, someone who I was fortunate enough to meet here on the interwebs on a podcast platform. And I'm really glad that we are connected now because we've already had some great conversations and I know this one is not going to be any different. Deborah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Greg. It's great to be here. And it's been a joy to get to know you and have some of those little chats. Thank you. So Deborah is a master business coach, a certified mediator, a speaker, an author and facilitator. And I think what I've taken from what you do is that you are all about helping people find, put their heart in their business, put all of them into their lives and their business, helping them resolve core issues of overwhelm, procrastination, and worthiness. And I don't know a single person listening and people that aren't even listening that can't relate to having some of those blocks and issues. Yeah. Yeah. How did you decide or how did you find yourself here doing this work? Oh my goodness. Let's just say I found myself in the situation of being a single mom, two little kids in a very litigious situation. I went through a seven-year divorce. How crazy is that? Yes, I finally fired all the lawyers and did it myself. (laughs) (laughs) During that period of time, I had one of those Tara moments laying on the bathroom floor saying, I will never be this lonely again. It wasn't about being hungry, although I guess it was, right? It'd never be this lonely again. And I picked myself back up off the bathroom floor and I said, I will find a way to feel good. What if this divorce isn't over in one year? Good thing I asked that question, right? (laughs) Yeah. What can I do not to delay the life, the quality of life with these beautiful children I have? So that led me in a lot of different directions. It led me to good resources. I feel so fortunate to have been in the world at that time where even then there were just so many good resources. And I started having people come to me in the parking lot of my kids' little Waldorf school saying, (laughs) I hear you're going through all this, you know, people tell stories in the bathroom, but you seem to be okay. I don't know how that is, but I want to be okay too. And I thought, wow, that is so interesting. And it didn't feel right to give people advice. That didn't feel right to me to endlessly talk about what I was going through or to tell them what they should do. So I said, there's got to be an alternative to that. And I was very fortunate to find a coaching program at the time. It was called Quantum Spirit International that really started from teaching me how to coach myself and then help me how to coach other people from that presence and that beginner's mind, their philosophy. My philosophy is that everything is inside of each each of us. So it's not about telling anybody anything. It's about being more of a facilitator, really, Mm -hmm. and allowing people to unlock and rediscover what we've locked up. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot locked up at the time. 
So I was thrilled because I wanted those tools that I'd experienced that delicious coaching from other people. I wanted that for myself. And I think that that was what really fueled me in my journey. I've been coaching for 20 years, over 20 years now, and I still feel like a beginner. I still feel like there's so much to learn myself. And it's just been such an honor to work with other wonderful, amazing people who once they can grab a sense of some of these tools, a little bit of that empowerment, not being at the whim of other people, just to see them unfold. Just beautiful to see people unfolding and to have that better quality relationship with themselves and with other people. I guess that's a little bit of my story, right? It came from, I think they, they say that, don't they? They say people teach what they want to learn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was definitely, I am definitely a case of that, continuing to deepen that always. And what I have found is that people in business, whether they realize it or not, whether they say it or not, whether they come to me or not, this is where they're getting stuck is around this emotional component of all tangled up with the beliefs and the body. But what happens is that fight, flight, or freeze, right? And a lot of them mm -hmm. are in freeze. That's when, that's when I see people is when they're in freeze. So yeah, I get really, some of those people in freeze too or in- I'll bet you do. Or in flight, but they don't know where to go. They're like, I there just got, go. I got to do something different. I don't know what it looks like. I need to, you know, get my bearings. But how? Or you know, where's the next step? Uh, yeah, I was thinking about you being a mediator and what you said about working on yourself. If we could mediate ourselves emotionally, if we could learn, you and I could teach and help people do to do that for us. And it is challenging, even for me and probably for you to catch myself in moments, especially if I'm talking to a new, I have a copywriting business on the side and I was discussing a project with, I wanted somebody to hire me. And this person has a large digital agency. And on the conversation, just like this, it was great. When I went to write the proposal, all the demons came out of self-doubt and what do I actually know? And he's got this agency and who am I? But I just had to quiet down because I know how to do that for myself. I love that so much, Greg. And I know the title that we're working under here is about whether you're really your best friend or not. Can yeah. you be? And just what you said, that can we mediate for ourselves? Can we be a mediator for ourselves? And can we be that force, mm -hmm. that feedback loop? Can we nurture a skill set that allows us to clearly take in the feedback, recognize the feedback, and then take it in and then use it. That's so huge. They do not teach this in school. <laughs> it's true. We do, we do not hear this in church. We do not get this from our families. Yeah. And it's such a huge piece. And it's funny you should say that about the mediation piece because I have found that that's an actual fact for me. I, I share with my students sometimes that I have what I call my kitchen sink conversations with my mean girl. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I literally will be standing at my kitchen sink. For some reason, it's always in my kitchen when I realize what's driving my mind. I don't know why. And I'll stand at the sink and I'll say, time out, knock it off, hold on a minute. I would never let you speak to someone else that way that I cared about. Mm. I can't hear you when you're yelling at me. 
So come front and present, let's have a conversation. And I'll actually turn to the sink and I'll say, what are you so upset about? What do you need? Tell me, I'm listening. And that is that mediator. And that is that coach for ourselves. So I'm a huge believer in that process and encouraging people to work with the voices, the unseen that is really trying to run the show, mm-hmm. right? Trying yeah. to run away with us. But it all kind of fits. So the, what we were thinking is, are you, I'm asking the audience and each other of us, are you your worst enemy? And if so, how you can become your best friend. So that's the context within which we're using the concepts of self-mediation, self-coaching, feedback. And I love that, you know, turning to the side to talk to your mean girl self. They say that like anything else, visualization is a really important key to getting where you want to go or, you know, and I'm not even talking about goals. I'm just, you made that look like some, you know, I could see that you were talking to somebody. And that, I think, makes it a little bit more real than just walking around ranting inside of our And here's the thing. It feels real, doesn't it? Yes. So why not make it in that moment real enough? There's other ways to do it. You can do a conversation on paper or, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, there's definitely other ways. You can be with a trusted therapist, a trusted friend, Mm -hmm. someone who's really someone that you can work with for sure. I'd love to just kind of name a little bit about what that worst enemy looks like for sure. for our our audience, if you don't mind, Greg. I mean, maybe we can together think of a little laundry list. But when I think of am I my own worst enemy, I have been my own worst enemy so many times in the past. Going back, I think that this is one of the, the biggest things that has changed for me is understanding what the change process is really about, coming from that pattern. I had a pattern where I would start something and I would get in and I would be really in it. And then it would just look like everything was going wrong. And then that worst enemy would come out and it would just say the meanest things. I told you so. I knew you couldn't. Who do you think you are? How dare you? Isn't this embarrassing? And I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about own worst enemy, aren't we? Absolutely, absolutely. It's that those and and so many are learned. The phrases that you mentioned don't. We don't come into the world with a stockpile of negative talk. We have to hear it from somewhere, and we could hear it from not even about us, but about maybe a parent to another parent or older siblings to you know in the media. We just pick up first step right there is that level of awareness. That's why I kind of wanted to name it a little bit so that we really knew what we were talking about because. That part can be back in the day, I didn't even realize I was running that pattern. Mm. That pattern that would go into this really dark space. I'd get I'd have a lot of emotions, but I would the whole time I'd be, it was like I was trying to have my foot on the brake when I was traveling like 200 miles an hour full of anger and grief and you know, hurt and sadness and and completely oblivious to it all. And then I would just explode and then it would reset. So it was just this vicious cycle. And you're absolutely right. It's not like that. Well, it hasn't yet ever fully 100% gone away. But like I said, now I can have kitchen sink conversations with it. Mm-hmm. Early days. I don't have to wait until it's this huge dark tornado. Mm-hmm. I think awareness is so key. I think support, like you mentioned, having someone that you can just say your most 
awful thing in the presence of and have them be like, yeah, I hear that. They don't try to fix you or change you. I just think that, I personally think that's the highest gift we can give one another is just Mm -hmm. be in the presence of someone who is expressing something that feels big and dangerous and terrifying and be just there, be that witness or neutral. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I personally, like I was sharing, the thing that I, that made the biggest difference for me was realizing that changing wasn't what I thought it was. And that goes back to that everything people tell you, you know, break down to break through, just do it, follow your bliss. Because I was experiencing this like running down the road towards my bliss and then everything seemed to go wrong. And of course, I would think, what's wrong with me? How come it doesn't work for me? And since we're all hiding it from each other, right? I didn't know any different at the time. So exploration, I would say, is a big key. You know, questioning that, hmm, is it really what it seems? And I've discovered that the change process, most often, I won't say always, but especially bigger change, it most often has that messy component in the middle Mm -hmm. (laughs) or towards the end. And I did not understand that. I did not understand that that messiness was part of the overall change process. And that right when it seemed like everything was against me, if you think of the hero's journey, right? That's like four feet from the gold, right? I didn't get that. There was no hero's journey for me growing up yet. I did not understand that. So that's made a huge difference for me as well. I'm curious your take on it. I know you work with a lot of people, Greg. What do you find? What you said about... I'm going to call it the chaos. I don't think we're taught to understand the messy part, as you said, that chaos is a part of creation. Or or we may, as we get older, understand it on some level, especially if we've worked in corporate and there's chaos theory and those kinds of things. But in our personal lives, I think we're taught to not have chaos, not allow chaos, not create chaos. Certainly, we don't want to create chaos. Especially if you're a woman. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) And you said something else that made me think, oh, I think you said self-awareness or discovery, but the idea of is this actually what I what it looks like? So when we're in a heightened emotional state, things can look much more terrifying than they are if we can just take a step back. And I know some people listening are like, you don't know my life. I get it. I sometimes you can't even take that step back. That breath feels like there's no breath in the room. When you can. Even if you took a little piece of paper or just did this in your head, here's what I see. No money in my bank account, for instance, new diagnosis, husband left me or I'm leaving him or her. Then those things, that's what is. And what does that make possible or impossible? From here, is there a possibility that something could come of it, that I can make a different decision or I could experience this differently? Or is it just as bad as it's going to, you know, this is not the worst of it. Okay, but that's good information to have. Like you didn't know you were going to have a seven-year divorce. You couldn't have planned on that. So maybe in that moment when you were first, let's just say you took that step back and you're like, oh, I made a divorce and this is really ugly and I have two little kids and what am I going to do? But you still found something that sparked in your mind. I want to be happy. There's got to be a way through this, right? So that's all I'm saying is that even if you can take a little bit of stock, you can't predict the future. But you can say, in this moment, what can I hang on to? What do I say? And, and the energy, like what is still inside of me? If we've gone through anything 
chaos-ish and gotten through it, chances are we still have that skill or resilience inside of us. Do you agree? Well, as you're talking, I can so easily slip inside that person sometimes I was where, you know, just from this point of view now, looking back into the past with compassion for that person and remember how it felt from the inside. It felt impossible from the inside. It felt like there was no breath, no space, like you were saying, Greg. And we could probably talk for hours about what happens between that difference where you feel like it's out of control, you have no space to how can you just cross that teeny, teeny, tiny barrier line over to, but wait a minute, like you said, but wait a minute, what's really going on here? Because that teeny, tiny space is really spacious, actually. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of ways to get from one side to the other. But boy, I can remember being in it and and not seeing any. And, and in, in reality, I did not have the tool set I did not have the tool set. I didn't have a tool to step outside of the whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And that's what really changed for me. And that's what I would encourage for other people is that a little bit of experimentation. I think I was desperate enough and I was desirous enough. I wanted a quality of life for myself and for my children. I did not want my children going down this particular path as well and, and feeling things were impossible. Mm-hmm. And so I was highly motivated. So I guess we could add highly motivated to the list, right? And what you were talking about goes back to those mediation of ourselves, coaching of ourselves, uh, communicating with ourselves kind of skills. All those skills that we long for one another, I have found have stood me literally very well in that communicating with myself. So I could stand in the presence of others. That's how I made it through my divorce, standing up against my husband's attorneys, mm-hmm. was by studying the tools, by coaching myself, by debriefing myself. And that takes a while. That takes a heartbeat to learn some of those, to practice those, to flail around a little bit. And that, that's why I'm a huge believer in what I call debriefing as coaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with ourselves is really taking that moment on a regular basis to do some of that loving thinking about, hmm, what did go well for me in that? What did go so well? What would I change? That kind of thing. Yeah. I will say we were talking a little bit about highly sensitive people before we pressed mm-hmm. record. And that was a huge awareness for me. I did not realize, I didn't know there was a thing called an HSP, a highly sensitive person. I didn't know what that was. I certainly didn't know that I was one. I had this underlying feeling that there was something wrong with me, that I couldn't seem to cope or have a tolerance for things that other people did. And now I understand why that was. But getting some of that emotional flexibility, growing up in a household that was very, rational. My dad was an engineer. It was very logically based. We kept a very tight cap on the emotions. (laughs) Sadness was not allowed. Anger was not allowed. It was all about control. And beginning to nurture some skills around being okay with my emotions. For me, in that process, you were talking about that mediating process. That's what made the most difference. It was such a novel idea to me that my emotions could be okay. I spent so many years, This is, and, and I think this shows up as being our own worst enemy. 
I, I spent so many years trying to cap my emotions to like, literally, I was trying to flatline my life. Mm-hmm. Let's just be even Steven, even keel all the time, you know, smile on my face, <laughs> uh, you know, for years to suddenly have the support for people who are like, no, emotions are good. That's where you get the highs and the lows. That's where you get, you know, every, that's where, that's where you get the juice out of life. And I can remember just being terrified. No, 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 that can't possibly be true. <laughs> so. For me anyway, that was part of what lived in that breath between totally out of control and I have choices, I have options. There's, wait, I can look at this, wait, I can breathe. And that for me, that was coming to that point of emotions aren't a bad thing. They have a gift for me here. It's okay to feel this way. I don't have to go out and express it to other people. Here with myself, I can be honest about what I feel. That was huge. And by the way, I still struggle with that part. That's still the part where a lot of my work lies for mm. myself. How about you? You know, Irish Catholic household, lawyers, <laughs> judge, my mother worked eventually. But I would say there was a lot of emotion. My stepdad was um, a drinker. So mm. that emotion was accepted because there was no stopping it kind of thing, outbursts and, you know, rages and whatever and, and laughter. But it taught me that that was not desirable, not to fully express. And I wanted to say too about this, the highs and lows of emotions. And you said, we don't have to express, you know, we don't have to go into a rage on the street necessarily. But I do think there's something to be said for feeling and expressing extreme anger, sorrow, wailing, throwing something, you know, there are all those, you can take a course on how to have the primal scream in the woods and throw things against the wall and break the glasses. And I think that is, it's revolutionary for some people to understand that that is an expression of what's inside and it's okay to let it go. Um, I so agree. But I also, I I don't want to, our conversation, I don't want anybody to feel like express your emotions, feel your emotions, but don't express them too much, right? If you're exactly. angry at somebody, I still remember my first husband and I was again, you know, like pretty much the model citizen when it came to expressing my emotions and something bad happened. And I went into a fit of peak and I threw a chair and I still remember it because it was so out of character for me. Now, I didn't like wing it at his head. I just needed to get something out of my system. And I picked up this folding chair and I winged it at the wall. And then, of course, I had to pay for it because I was in an apartment in New York City. <laughs> they didn't take kindly to the whole wall. <laughs> but it's memorable now, this many years later, because it was so out of character. But man, did it feel good. You know, now, had I been a different kind of person or a bit of more rage, I could have maybe hurt him. But I didn't. My intention was not to hurt him. My intention was to release. Exactly. So exactly. I'm encouraging people to find a way to safely for both themselves and anybody else involved. To release that anger. If you, uh, you know, I love that so much. We could talk for a whole podcast just on releasing anger and expressing <laughs> anger in in safe and truly healthy ways. And and we could do that with any of the emotions, right? Mm-hmm. As you're speaking, I remember I was very into ritual. Ritual really helped me. And I think ritual can help a lot of people. And one of the things I did that I had stepchildren at the time that my ex and I separated, and it was very difficult for them. And I was very conflicted about that because as a as a stepmom, you don't really have any rights. There, I am one of those. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I did was, and it came out of 
my own anger and expressing it by, I don't know where I read this, but I hammered nails into a board and just beat the crap out of them with that, that, that act of just hammering. So what I did was I took all of the old uh, dishware that we had, mismatched dis- dishware, and put it out on a on a thing. And and we we all, even though kids were little, we talked and we smashed the dishes is what we did. <laughs> and we put all those pieces of pottery in a bag and we buried it and we talked about all of the things that were going on. It wasn't something that I made them do. It was just something that sort of evolved. I had this yeah. half-inspired idea about you know, the kitchen being the hearts of the home and it being broken and what that had to do and what could be. And just like, I don't know, when you're talking about those expressions, you know, I, I too kicked a hole in the wall and it wasn't pretty either. And it was frightening for the kids, yeah. right? Mom yeah. just kicked a hole in the wall. What's going on? You know, and, but mom didn't kick me, you know? So mm. I, I think that that's not a bad thing for people to see. I wish we did have more ways that were open to us. There's this beautiful book called The Kin of Atta. It's an older, older book that somebody gave to me, The Kin of Atta. And it's this just fascinating story about someone who ends up, I don't remember how, if he's in a coma, so it's all imaginary, or if it's, I, I don't remember how this person ends up, but he ends up on this island with these people that do things in just this completely different way. And they have these beautiful, Earth caves that when something's really upsetting to them, the whole village supports them in removing themselves and going into these caves and being able to do whatever they want, scream, throw, sleep, rock. But they're in the dark in this primal, like returning to the earth and the earth is holding them as they resolve their feelings and emotions. I love that. Wow. I mean, I remember reading that book, just tears streaming down my eyes thinking about what if we had something like, can you imagine being a child and ha- going someplace where the whole village actually like held? It's okay. Yes, that's going on for you. You're loved and protected while you deal with that. Mm-hmm. Right? Amazing. Yeah. And it is challenging, but we can do that for ourselves. We can. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you said, we're not advocating that people go out and, you know, with a sledgehammer, but they do have a place here in Portland. My daughter just told me about this. We're going to go <laughs> where you can bring anything you want and they have all the equipment. You can just break things apart and throw things against walls and all these kinds of things. You can destroy things and it has some clever, clever title. And I don't even think it's that expensive. So you can bring in an old TV or you just beat things up and, you know, yeah. but like I said, it's not always about that. Sometimes it's about, for me in that moment, it was a little bit more planned to have something that was that destruction, but also like to represent the inside on the outside. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing. We have not really been taught that there's many ways to do this. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people do it through breath work or somatic yeah. work. So valuable. But there are many ways to do this. And what we were taught or shown, what we were modeled, really, we're talking about what was modeled to us. We can question that. That was big for me. That was really big for me to question that. Hmm, these people who I loved so much and who did love me didn't know everything. (laughs) (laughs) What a concept. I do yes. also want to mention the other emotions. We've been talking about ways of oh, yeah. anger or rage. And 
I don't know what came to my why it came to my mind, but I was thinking about trance dance. Oh, uh, you said breath yeah. work, and then I was thinking about courses that I've taken, places I've been to do all kinds of experiential. You know, that's what I'm going to call them experiences, and the experience of joy or elation and trance dance. And, and these are, you know, there's no medication involved. There's no alcohol. There's just, and when you let music take you, you can get so out of your thinking, your conscious awareness that when, when you come back to yourself, you're either elated or you realize that what you, you, you were dancing away your anger or your frustration or your grief. And it, you feel lighter. It, I love those kinds of experiences. And let's talk about hiking in nature, like a hard hike or a passionate swim. There are all kinds of ways of releasing because emotion, whether we label it as good or bad, it's still an energetic thing going on in our body. And I love that you brought that up, Greg, that body piece, because that is what I was truly missing. Mm. If I was living, they say from the neck up, yeah. I was from the neck up, I was trying to do it all in the head. I was trying to figure it all out. And like I said, this is still the piece for me is getting things deeper and deeper and deeper and get them into my body. And I love that, that trance dance where we see that the emotions are so close to each other, like anger and rage lives right next to joy and ecstasy, right? Mm -hmm. And lives right next to grief yeah, right? and sadness. It's so fascinating. It opens a whole new vista, really, when you have ways of allowing yourself all the emotions and you see that. They can all live in the same basket or the same bowl. Yeah, and all of it is the same in the same context of being our own best friend. Totally. It's, it, there are lots of ways to do that to counter having the mean girl rule. Yes, because the best friend doesn't only hang out with you when you're happy, happy, happy. That's true. A best friend is there, and the best friend isn't only there when you're sad and depressed and a victim, right? No, a, a best friend is there. During thick and thin, they say, yeah. <laughs> the whole range. Yes, absolutely. As we come close to closing this session and could, like you said, can go for hours and hours, but <laughs> let's take a typical person on a typical day, entrepreneurs. I have lots of entrepreneurs listening, coaches mainly like you and I. What is your number one, like your go-to? We talked about a lot of the things that you've learned over the years. But right now, you as a person dealing with a business, you have grown kids, you have a life, you're feeling like you're getting a little bit, something's coming up, you're triggered about something. How do you bring yourself back? What works for oh, you? Oh, that is such a juicy question. Do I get to ask you too? Sure. <laughs> we, should, we should share and get everybody thinking about it because right there in a nutshell, that's the perfect question. How do I? And everybody... Is going to answer that a little different, right? Oh, a little yeah. differently. Yeah. There's no so one. There. I think for me, let's see, how do I, because it's different in different situations, but I will say, okay, a couple of go tos for me, a couple of go tos is getting outdoors in nature. Just getting outdoors in nature, I can get so, as you can tell, I get so locked into my own little thing right here and I, and I can get all agitated. So getting out, moving, that moving, but just the hummingbirds, the flowers, mm -hmm. the pine trees, getting out for that hike, like you said. Like, I love the thing about it, I love about hiking is you are literally elevating. Yeah, <laughs> You're literally point. getting above it all, right? Good. And there is, there's something that happens in my body and my heart to have climb, 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 and then have that vista. Mm -hmm. It just seems to minimize a lot of things, but also that the cross crawl motion of walking or mm -hmm. hiking or that moving 
gives me that space and I can think, but I begin thinking in much more softened or expanded ways. So mm-hmm. I would say if I had to pick only one, that's what it would be. It would be to get out walking, moving, and and in nature, not and if I had to, it would be in concrete, but it's not definitely not my preference. Where I live, there are a lot of neighborhoods, but very wide streets. Right now, especially so much growing, but always, you know, squirrels and rabbits and different birds, lots of birds. So I'd say nature, that's for sure. And then I am what people call in terms of learning strategy, I am a read-write. I'm a read-write. Uh-huh. And I know this about myself. So that process that you talked about just seeing, well, it's this and it's this and it's this. So I call that like unburdening, unloading. Mm-hmm. And if I just sit down and I put all of those thoughts, when I put all of those thoughts on a piece of paper, just like unloading them, and then they're in front of me, it's not 3,042 things. It's basically <laughs> just two or three things that are just going over and over in different ways. And then I'm like, oh, those are the important things. Okay, those I can work with. And I will use what I call power questions. You know, what is that one thing in that direction of working with that, of being very solution oriented about that? But I can't go there right away, not until I bring in that physical breath moving piece. So that's what I would say. I would say I my first tendency is just to get out. So that's how I think about it, that that little step yeah. away and get moving. And then I can come back and then I have enough presence inside myself. To work with the busy part, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and redirect it, redirect it, get it to doing something constructive. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. You're that's my go-to. The state change. You are in a state. You got up. Movement is as soon as you sit up, get up from the chair. That's a state change. You started the process of being open to coming back at some point. Yeah. That's just something so magical for me, anyway, about nature, growing things. Living little, like the birds, the birds are just like, I don't know what birds are made of. They're little pieces of fluff and magic and they just like are beyond my comprehension. So seeing the birds move just is like always so magical. Yeah, I, I we have lots of birds here. We're lucky. And I they're nesting now. They're building their nests. And we have wisteria on one side of the house. Ooh, the lovely. Are, and every year, one or two families make their... So the other day we were having dinner and one bird was literally carrying like an eight inch piece of plastic string or something. And it went by and we were thinking, what the heck is that? And then we saw her and she was like weaving it into her little nest in a, in the right above the house. I was like, this is the coolest thing. So that's amazing. That's amazing. What a treat. What a treat. Who needs TV? (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. So, so how do you, how, what do you do, Greg? What do you do to? I recently gave the same answer you did. I said I get out in nature. Mm. And mm, I think I, I definitely have to do a state change like you. I have to get up from the place that is holding on to this in my head stuff, you know. And then I do have a couple of meditation apps that I like that you can do a five or 10 minute meditation. One is called brain.fm. And it's also great for creative. Oh, writing. I love that. I love that. I have one. I have that. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Love that. And Headspace, I like because I love the English accents. Headspace. Oh, I'm not familiar with that one. I'll have yeah, to check that really, out. It's super simple and just there. It's almost like it's fun to sit there and listen. And but I also I think the most important thing for me is just getting away from what it is that I've gotten myself in a stew about. And sometimes I'll just put on one of my Audible books. And I don't know about you, but I've got you know so many books going, whether it's on Audible or <laughs> yeah. my side table of my bed. And I, I think. <laughs> 
what what it comes down to what we're both saying is taking a break from the moment of chaos, <laughs> the chaos that's forming or the chaos that we think we've created. And they say, they, whoever they are, that daydreaming is really important to problem solving. And mm. I think whether it's walking, reading, swimming, dancing, move, just getting out of the house, getting away from the desk, I think that allows the mind a mindless moment. And then things can come in because we're not, like you said, trying to do it all in our head. That is so beautiful. That is, that is something I never allowed myself. Mm. And, and I think it does make a huge difference. Just that piece you said, daydreaming, just mm-hmm. stepping away for a moment. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast. This has been fun. Thank you very much, Deborah. And I'm sure that Thank our you. listeners will, before you go, please tell your, our people where they can find you. Thebeingcoach.com. The being, not, not, being, the, being. not the doing, but thebeingcoach.com. Or my name, DebraIvanoff.com. You, you can get there too as well. And there's ways to contact me there. Or I have a Linktree too. Linktree tells you all the place. So if you just go to Linktree forward slash Deborah Ivanoff. Is that linked like LinkedIn or L-I-N-K? No, it's, it's Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R-E, Linktree. Oh yeah, you should check that out. That's where you can put all your different links. Somebody can oh, find you on Linktree and then there's Linktree. Yeah, and then everything, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, oh. all that fun stuff. Okay. The, only thing they don't, the only thing they don't list yet is they don't have a way that you can list Clubhouse, but and I'm experimenting a little bit with that. So. I know we were supposed I mean, to get together on Clubhouse, and I there you I, go. I registered, but I'm not there. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll find our way to a room at some point. <laughs> we will. We will. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining me again. We will be back next week, and until then, I hope you all are well. That's the end of another episode of the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If there's anything that you heard or hear when you tune in that you think would benefit a friend, a sister, a mother, hey, even some guys, send them my way, would you? And if you've not ever been to the website, rebelliouswellnessover50.com, head on over there. There are resources, things that I don't always get to on the podcast that might help you age better. Be well till next time and stay that way.